Mona Teisler is a Web3 venture capital investment manager with the German VC business Tokentas, who specialize in blockchain businesses. When she was at the London Blockchain Conference, I had a chance to ask her what she thought of it and of the opportunities for businesses building on the BSV blockchain. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. So Mona, Tokentus is a venture capital firm, but with a special focus, I think. That's right. Uh, we're a German publicly listed uh, venture capital firm, and we focus only on Web3 investments or, let's say, startups utilizing blockchain technology. Right. And so how is that field? Is it, is it many opportunities or are you always looking for the needle in the haystack? Um, I would say almost both to your question. I think there are many opportunities, um, but we specifically focus on what I tend to call financial services, Web3 infrastructure, or in general, core infrastructure. So we don't, for example, do investments um, in the entertainment space as much um, because our big value add due to our network is more in the banking sector, institutional network. So we prefer to invest in companies where we have a real value add to them through through our network. Well, let's just get this out of the way. What exactly... <laughs> do you mean by Web3 in that context? Sure. So we essentially, what I mean with it is companies essentially utilizing blockchain technology um, to, for example, create efficiencies. So that's one end of the spectrum. You could also argue or explain Web3 in a way that it's a decentralized web. So it's kind of the emergence, the movement of the internet as we know it, to a more collaborative and interactive um, internet. Right. And so this may involve one of a range of different blockchains, I guess. Yes, yes. We invest uh, completely blockchain agnostic, more in applications as well as infrastructure that essentially will power the future of the internet. Well, it's interesting you say blockchain agnostic, which I understand means you know, you're know you open to consider ideas in many different blockchains. But do you also have a view as to whether one blockchain might actually be better in general than another one? Or do you just consider them all doing the same job? I wouldn't say they're all doing the same job at all. I would say they're they're quite different. And I would say they have different use cases. I would not say one blockchain is better than another necessarily in the grand scheme of things. But um, I believe that there are different reasons to use different blockchains, right? So I think, again, if if you're looking at more of a store of value, uh, you might say, okay, the Bitcoin network is the most safe, the most... Uh, BTC. Yes, Um you could also um, argue Ethereum has the most uh, biggest uh, community, so there's potentially more adoption opportunities there. But in essence, there's so many blockchains at this you know, time. There's layer ones, there's layer twos. Um, there's just a vast amount of use cases out there. I don't think necessarily the landscape we see now is going to be the landscape we see in the future, but I do believe that um, there will be a, a myriad of different blockchains existing in the future, 
utilized for different use but, cases. So do you see a, a, a consolidation process where, you know, there's today thousands of blockchains and I guess however well informed you are in your business, somebody's going to come along with one that you might never have heard of before. Oh yeah, often. <laughs> do you think all those will be kind of weeded out? Um, I think there will be some sort of consolidation process, yes. Um, I wouldn't say every blockchain I haven't heard of is going to be weeded out because... <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, And there's incredible building going on. Um, So maybe, you know, the let's say a big winner is one we haven't even heard of yet. Um, But uh, I do think that, you know, as many blockchains that are out there at this time uh, won't be existing in maybe 10 years from now. Well, we're at the London Blockchain Conference, which which sounds very general, but actually uh, most of the work that is represented here is on the Bitcoin SV blockchain. Mm-hmm. How do you fit that into that overall picture? I think in general we are, so again, we, we don't really have an opinion necessarily on one blockchain being better than the other or people should be building on one or the other. I think our perspective is that, again, depending on what you're using it for, Mm. um, there might be some uh, blockchains that are more valuable for that use case. So in in this case, I think enterprises probably have a more, more interest in that particular blockchain as well as potentially governments due to um, maybe less public uh, ability, more privacy in that respect. Yeah. And what about the, the micro payments and the, the low fees and stuff? I mean, presumably you see those as a, a strength of the Bitcoin SV blockchain compared to some others? For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. There's, I think we do have a big problem still in the space, which is essentially the fees um, and also UX, UI, and, and onboarding of, uh, of of people into the the, the space, um, where of course low fees and fast uh, transfers are a massive value add mm-hmm. um, and important for specifically again enterprise use cases. I would say. So we're in the second day of this conference, so we're only sort of halfway through. But what's your characterization of the kind of atmosphere and the the kind of activity that you've seen and the people you've met so far? Yeah, it's buzzing. There's a lot of people, a lot of interest. Um, You could see there's a lot of discussion, critical thinking, which I think is really important, right? There are critical questions, um, many different opinions. Uh, So it's a it's a very vibrant atmosphere. I would I would describe it as. Has anybody come up and tried to pitch you with their business idea yet? That happens a lot. <laughs> Mostly when uh, people hear, you know, uh, that you are an investor, I'm sure people can relate to that. Then, of course, why not use your chance, right? I think that's actually very, you know, why not? I, I used to be an entrepreneur myself and, and I did that. And it took quite a lot of courage sometimes to do that. So I, I think it's super understandable that people do that. Sometimes I'm, of course, a little bit like, oh, for the like 14th time I'm being pitched something. But of course, that's also my job, right? And it's important for, for me and very valuable for me to listen to different ideas, different founders, different um, opportunities to find that needle in the haystack, as you put it before. Well, well let's, let's make your life a little bit easier here. 
what are the business ideas that you definitely don't want to hear again because you've heard them already half a dozen times today? What, what, what is the most common idea where you, you're going to say, well, yes, that's a great idea, but no, I've, we've already got that? Um, in general, I mean, what we don't really do is, um, for example, gaming studios, right? That's not something that the fund that I work for invests in. Again, we don't really have a value add for companies in that space. And my knowledge is also not vast to be a really big value add investor. Mm. So um, if it's a gaming studio, then, um, you know, I think there's obviously an opportunity to onboard users into Web3 through the gaming space, but it's not a good business to pitch to me personally. So are you typically not looking at um, consumer-facing businesses? We are, we are, but not, I usually describe it as entertainment in a way. So for example, um, social media or um, gaming, or maybe NFTs. Right. So NFT, you mean entertainment is not what you're... Yes, entertainment, exactly. Entertainment is not what at least we generally tend to look at. Primarily, we look more at, I would say, infrastructure and financial services in Web3-related businesses. But of course, we there's also several investments we do have that are consumer-facing that I would say are more maybe in the payment space for, for retail clients. Right. I, I know in the venture capital business, sort of just more generally in tech, uh, it's always said that as well as the idea and the business plan, it's the, the people behind it mm -hmm. that are going to determine the decision. Is that the same case with you? If somebody comes along with an idea that you think is not that amazing, but you are just so impressed with the person, could that carry a lot of weight? Absolutely. Um, we're early stage investors. We invest pre-seed to series A. And um, essentially, in those stages, it's still a lot about the founders. It's about what have they done before? Are they the right people for this business idea? Do they have the right uh, mindset? Are they committed? Um, what, is their, what is their background? Do they understand the technology, the use cases, the, the product market fit? Have they thought about the competition? You know, all these aspects come become more clear when you speak to them and you recognize relatively quickly when someone is really impressive and the right person to be a founder and has developed a team around him or her that is very, very, you know, complementary to his or her skill set. Um, and so I think that that's what we do look for and that's very, very important. But yes, we do sometimes have people as such, that the idea maybe isn't perfect yet or we don't see a clear, let's say, unicorn uh, coming out of that idea um, at this stage, we might be wrong, right? We might be wrong. Um, but for, for us, sometimes that's maybe a reason to not invest at this point. But venture capital is also a relationship business. So, and I think specifically the blockchain industry, Web3 is extremely collaborative and that's why I love it so much. Because you stay in contact, you express genuine interest and, you know, being impressed by who they are mm. and help them, maybe ideate with them, help them think of the next step or just connect them with other people that might, might be of value to them and create this relationship and create this constant dialogue to hopefully then when maybe the next idea comes, um, you can work together. Is, do you think there is a kind of founder 
or entrepreneur personality type? Is there somebody you can spot a mile off and say, well, you know, you've got what it takes to be an entrepreneur? It's a really interesting question because I was um, about to do a PhD, actually, on a very similar topic. I decided not to, to do it in the end, but the topic was, is there a typical founder type and is there a framework that can be developed that supports maybe this or these types of founders to ensure success? Can there be some sort of grid or mm. formula that can be researched by looking at founders and, and their success? Starting this research very early days, um, I realized I think there are certain characteristics in some founders that do seem to be recurring. However, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And specifically in this industry, I've seen that actually there's a lot more technical founders that deviate maybe a little bit from the path of what you think of as this charismatic, you know, talker, let's put it that way. Because a lot of the times, a lot of the, you know, very successful founders also in the Web3 space are maybe more technical, a little bit mm. more quiet, but they have had the ability or they have to complement their skill set with other people around them that, you know, help them maybe on, on the things that they're not so good at and, and create a founding team that's very valuable. Mm. So um, I don't have a clear answer to it, but I think it's an interesting research topic that maybe one day I'll pick yeah. back up. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know, if you think of Mark Zuckerberg or even the Google guys, really, they're not great sort of extroverts and they don't even necessarily come into it with an interest in business. Uh, it does seem like as the, as the business grows, mm. the different um, skills required of the entrepreneur, there are more and more added to them. Yeah. And yeah, maybe you have to build the staff, but I guess you, nobody's got everything. <laughs> That's true. And also in terms of funding, what I often see is fundraising for many startups, for many founders is really difficult and it's very time consuming. Because they don't like asking for money. Yeah, it also takes them away from building, right? It takes them away from their vision. It takes them away from doing what they love, hopefully. That's yeah. why they're doing it as a founder. And fundraising often takes a lot of time. You get a lot of no's. Um, it's not the most enjoyable for a lot of founders. And having that persistence and pulling through and having that professionalism a lot of the time is quite helpful. Or bringing someone on board that can help maybe with that process um, I do see as quite valuable for some founders that really hate it. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, the, I have come across quite a sort of extreme view about um, venture capital in this area, mm -hmm. which is that the nature of blockchain and Bitcoin is that you are, as an entrepreneur, coming up with an idea that actually makes use of a technology that is out there, available to you to use for free. Mm -hmm. And that therefore, you ought to be able to produce something that uses it and is making an income straight away. And that the idea that it's the sort of more traditional tech model of we need a huge investment to build a team and build a product, that is not necessarily the way that this has to go with Bitcoin. What, what, what do you make of that? Again, it's not a one size fits all. You could argue, of course, that if you have a fully decentralized business, right? So you have a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, you have collaborators, you have, you know, people, stakeholders that work on different aspects to create 
something that, for example, makes money through trading fees um, that then can grow organically. Let's put it that way. That's absolutely valuable. However, we all know that, for example, developers in the blockchain space are quite a rare and they often have to be paid, right? <laughs> yes. They're not going to do it for free because someone's going to offer them money to... Unless they bought Bitcoin very early on. Right. For example, exactly. <laughs> That's. But even then, I think the market, you know, they it's, it's priced quite high. If you're a good developer, you know, I think you, you're very much allowed to ask for a salary for hmm. working and developing something and building. And um, that requires some capital from the beginning. And often that require that is not you know, readily available unless you invested in Bitcoin very early and you can build your startup with your own funds that you've made. But obviously not everyone is that fortunate or was that, you know, able to do, is able to do that. Well, just to end on, I wonder just whether you could give an idea of where you think we are in terms of the, the sort of development over, over a period of years of this sector, because there's all this talk of, um, you know, regulation, is regulation coming in? Uh, there's been all these FTXs caused all sorts of waves of problems and things. Is it your view that all that's going to settle down and it'll become a more predictable world? Mm. Or are you planning for this kind of unpredictability and chaos in a way to to be able to continue and that business can carry on through all that? So I think, first of all, the, the difficulties the industry is facing, right, from the scandalous problems that we've seen, from the general macro economy that's causing issues, um, bear market, uh, I think we are weeding out quite a lot of bad nuggets, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad players. Yeah, yeah. And we're also kind of understanding who can manage funds correctly, etc. So there's a pro in there somewhere, right? Because during the bull market, there was a huge hype cycle and companies were funded with very high valuations without really being very realistic about their future, about the market size, about, you know, it's like the dot-com boom all over again. Yes, it, yes. Um, so I think we're in a process of, I think, consolidation a little bit. Um, we're in the process of figuring out, you know, what works, what doesn't, who can survive, who cannot survive. And um, we're also, in, in, in my field of work, I'm actually, I have more time for research. I have more... Um, realistic valuations that I'm discussing with startups. I'm There's just a little bit more grounding. Um, and I think that we're going to see a positive outcome at the you know end of maybe this low cycle. Um, and there will be another bull market, in my opinion, and there will be you know another hype cycle. But hopefully when we get there, the players that are standing are, are relatively strong players and we can just improve upon um, the outcomes after after that time and bring more people on, have better research, better education, more research, um, sorry, more resources for people to look at um, to then, you know, just create a positive momentum and hopefully have better regulation in place, more regulation, thought through regulation in place. <laughs> right that um, also will stop some bad actors to, you know, to misappropriate funds. 
Well, I'm sure that uh, the players that are left standing will include everyone that Token Tusk has invested in. So. I hope so, too. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me, Mona. Thank you very much. Thank you. Many thanks to Mona Teisler. Next week, I'll be talking to Kevin Healy of the Bitcoin Association about his interesting history as an iOS app developer, then an Ethereum entrepreneur, before he discovered the joys of BSV. Please join Kevin and me for that. But until then, thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye. Goodbye.